0: Hello and welcome to episode 96 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. I'm back after a few weeks off through holiday and been a little bit under the weather. And during that time, it's been an incredibly busy period on the WDF. There's been the Dutch Open, a doubleheader in Switzerland, the Nordic Cup in Sweden, the Canadian Open, two events in Hungary, the return of WDF darts to New Zealand for the first time in 10 months and Of course, the Six Nations as well. I'll jump into all of that on this week's show, as well as two really interesting interviews with this week's guests, Martin Turner and Lorraine Hyde. First off, you'll hear from Martin Turner, who's been making real waves on the WDF tour this year by reaching a final in Switzerland two semis in Denmark and Wales, and he's now 14th in the rankings. We discussed Martin's return to the WDF after a number of years away, his time as a PDC tour card holder, and why he's now playing darts without feeling the pressure that he used to. I'm now delighted to be joined by a man who's been making waves on the WDF tour this year, the recent Swiss Open finalist, Martin Turner. Martin, how are you? I'm
1: very well, thank you, Andrew. Absolute pleasure to talk to
0: you. It's great to have you on the show. You've been on a tremendous run of form this year. You've been playing well in the World Seniors events as well. But we'll touch on all of that in a bit. I want to start right at the beginning for you. How yeah. did you first get into darts? Uh, well, started from when I was a kid,
1: really. I used to practice in the kitchen with my, with my granny years ago. And my dad always played League darts in York and he was a very, very good player was my dad. And my mum played league as well for ladies and both superb players. Hmm. So you were just sort of in the family. You just you know, from an early age I just used to stand on a chair and just throw darts.
0: And what age did you move off the chair then?
1: Oh well, twenty one I think.
0: No,
1: just no about eight or nine, you know, you know. Hmm. You get a, a little shooting growth, but yeah, I just used to love throwing. I was used to watch stats on telly, I loved it, and obviously when your parents both play in leagues and what have you, it's, it's part, of your, part of your blood, so.
0: Yeah, of course. Now, you started doing the PDC tour in 2006, but oh, before yeah. then, were you just playing local competitions, pub leagues, etc.?
1: Uh, well, I was doing a lot of local stuff, but no, I was playing the BDO circuit at the time as well. And I made the switch to the PDC in May of that year. I'd reached the quarterfinals of the Welsh Open. i lost out to some young lad, I don't know if he ever made anything of his, of his game, Michael Van Gerwen. <laughs> and he beat me in the quarterfinals, and it was supposed to be when Satanta Sport were covering darts. And the quarterfinals were supposed to be live on Satanta Sports, so we had to wait around for ages And to play it live on TV. I thought, wow, this is good. And of course, last minute, the satellite went down, they couldn't play, so we had to play on floor as normal. So yeah, I lost 3-0 to Michael. I had chances at doubles in all three legs, so I could have won. But and the end of the day, quarter-finals, I got £100. And I thought, well, I've been playing here nigh on 10 hours now from first round early morning. Battled through with a lot of good players. and Ross Montgomery in the last 16 and, you know, playing, playing well. And I thought, I've done all this for £100. And Tony O'Shea, Martin Atkins, saying, yeah, but you've got great points towards Lakeside now. I says, yeah, but all day there for this. I said, no, I'm going to give PDC a crack. And that's what happened. I just decided that, you know, if I'm playing well, I'll I'll have a go on PDC circuit and see how that goes. So that's where that came about.
0: And then I know in the early years for you in the PDC, you were travelling around a lot with Chris Thompson, who's from your neck of the woods as well.
1: I was, yeah. Yeah, there was five or six of us from York at the time. Because York's always been hotbed for darts. It's absolute amazing talent. And the best player I've ever seen in the world darts comes from York with Stu Alden. Mm. But he's you know, he never quite got to the heights he should have, but he was a superb player and he was to practise his local pub when I was fifteen on a Sunday and watching play and I thought, wow, this is amazing. So York's always had a massive hotbed of darts. Mm. So it's been a tough
0: grounding. Two thousand and seven then, your first sort of full year on the PDC got to a quarterfinal of one of the UK Open qualifiers and then what I imagine was a really big run for you. You got to the last 32 of the US Open and during that run you beat Terry Jenkins. How important was that win over Terry for your career at that point in time?
1: Honestly, that was the biggest win of my career at the time and since. I was absolutely stuck because I didn't just beat Terry. I absolutely beat him, I played really well, I was two sets to nil up, I should have won it three sets to nil, got a bit nervy, finished up to all and then I thought, oh, blown it Martin, what have you done, you've blown it, but last set again I came back in and I won it and I came off that ball thinking, because Terry at the time was absolutely on fire, and I thought, well if you can do that to Terry Jenkins, you've got a chance mate, you've got a chance, and I was absolutely delighted. And that's, that is the massive win for me. If that hadn't happened, you know, I might not be playing that. now, I don't know. It was just an amazing experience. Yeah, of but course. What's still, the, what's still the USA taxman, got all the winnings, and what's <laughs> a good, but never
0: mind. <laughs> <laughs> Something I did want to ask you about, the 2007 UK Open, I've spoken to Marshall James about this before, and he said that there was a power cut during the event, and that power cut actually ended up costing him his game, in a sense, because he was ahead, went out, and then when he came back on, he ended up losing. Was that a similar story for you against Colin it's Monk?
1: exactly the same story. I was on board two, There's one of the televised boards, and it was actually the televised board at the time because the main stage game had finished. So I was playing Colin Monk on stage two, and it was the same thing. Colin had thrown two darts. Everything went off. We had to leave, come back on. We don't allow practice darts. Colin had to throw his last dart, and... Yeah, I went from a 7-3 lead and lost 8-7. can't really blame the power cut for it, though. So <laughs> I'll be honest, the nerves got to me at the end. That winning double, I had a shot in every leg apart from the last leg and I couldn't see it. My hand was just shaking that much. It was like a windscreen wiper. <laughs>
0: the nerves really did get to me. So I, can't, so I can't blame the power
1: cut. I'd love to, but I
0: can't. <laughs> How much of a, a kick in the teeth was that loss to Colin, though?
1: To be honest, it didn't really affect me that much because... The one thing that I've lacked in my dad's career is self-belief and I have suffered anxiety terribly. And when I saw the draw and I knew I was going to be on stage, so everybody else was phoning me up and sending messages saying, oh brilliant, you're on stage board, great, and all this. And I was thinking, no, please, no, put me on one of the outside boards, I don't want to be on stage board, and I was panicking. When I actually got up there and started playing, I felt great. And it's a weird thing when you're throwing on there and you've played two or three legs and all of a sudden, when you—that is the board, you hear this thud, like, what's that? It's weird. Then you hear Georgie Noble was shouting and then you hear his voice. And i thought, like, hey, what's going on here? And I looked round and I saw the stage was empty. I went, oh hell fire, we're on, we're on telly now then, aren't we? And instead of panicking me, it suddenly made me feel a whole lot better. And I really enjoyed it. It was, it was crazy. So I walked off there thinking, well, that's my first experience. Yeah, I've blown it, my own fault. But I really enjoyed the whole experience, and I just thought, yeah, I could do with some more of this. I'm happy with that. So it didn't bother me that much, to be honest. Now I mean, you... should have done probably, but, <laughs> you know, it's just the first experience of being up there, and it was just a, such a great experience.
0: Yeah, of course. Now, you talk about the nerves and the anxiety. Is that something that is still somewhat of an issue for you now? Uh, it's, well, it was up to a couple of
1: years ago, to be fair. I mean, I've had people, I mean, peak senior years ago was your team manager came to me and he just says, do you know something, you don't realise how good you can be. And I looked at him and thought, you crank, what are you on about, I'm rubbish. And I never had any self-belief at all. Then the last couple of years, obviously, with everything that's been going on, luckily enough, I played Dumberside years ago with Dave Ladley, and I've known him since he was 17. And he did a thing on mental health for the PDPA, and I watched that and I thought, wow, I've known him for that long and I never knew he was feeling like this. So a couple of years ago at Q School, I sat down and I finally spoke to him about it and I'd never spoke to anybody about it before. And spoke to Dave he went, that's the first steps. you're on the right way now. So being able to talk to Dave now, I'm more relaxed now than I've ever been. I am my head's in a better place than it's ever been and, well, the results are showing now.
0: Hmm. And do you feel that is a direct impact? The way you're playing is because you feel a lot more relaxed and free up there?
1: Oh, massively. Unbelievably, yeah. And it's also out for the last 18 months travelling with Darren Johnson, who's been a massive impact as well, because obviously Darren for years travelled with Dennis Priestley. And obviously you learn a lot of Dennis as you're travelling around and how to deal with things, how to approach things. And I'm learning that off Darren now as well. And he's such a calming influence. He never gets so excited about anything, so he keeps you grounded. If you think you've done well, he'll put you down and say you've done something wrong. You can improve on that. Next time, do better. And that's also because it keeps you calm and relaxed and, yeah, yeah, there's more to you. Yeah, you can do more than this, of course you can. And it's, it's been fantastic. Dave and Darren the last few years have really helped me along big style. Well,
0: oh, fantastic. I remember reading when I was doing my preparation for this interview that I think it was your, your local paper, the York Press, you'd done an interview with them a long time ago and you'd said that around the 2011 UK Open you were thinking of packing in the PDC altogether was that because of the way you were feeling or the financial pressures at the time
1: it was a bit of both to be fair Andrew yeah it's obviously at the time it was entry fees involved with pdc a lot of traveling a lot of hotels i didn't have a lot of money i wasn't sponsored never been sponsored so everything's come out of my own pockets by my parents bless them and yeah it was a struggle and when you're not getting results i've I've lost i've been with a, a, a company for 17 years and i got made redundant so i was out of work and it was really becoming a struggle, and I want enjoying it, and if you're not enjoying something, what's the point of doing it? Then all of a sudden, UK Open 2011, I started back at the old Bolton, Bolton Bol- was the best venue I've ever played, and ever will, it was wonderful. And it just sort of stirred me up again, and I walked away from there thinking, Ah, you enjoy this too much, mine. You can't give this up, you enjoy it too much. But unfortunately, we were, it's just last ten years have been a bit of a letdown, to be honest. Workwise, I couldn't get time off for darts, and I want practicing. And and I maybe should have had a break at the time. But when it's in your blood, it's in your blood, mate. It's hard to walk away from.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm absolutely dreadful, and I still keep going, so I can appreciate how uh, must be for someone who's actually good at, good at the game.
1: Well, it's very kind of you to say so. but <laughs> At the time, you doubt yourself when you get a few bad results, and. That's is all, like many sports, it's all about confidence. If you lose the confidence, then you've really got nowhere to turn. But the time we had that David Dave Flett from York Pressure was massive on darts and he used to follow us around and report. And knowing he's there and giving you support helped a bit as well. You always had somebody to talk to and he'd always put good things in press and you'd read them and think, yeah, come on, let's keep going, you know. And that was a massive help as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, of course. Now, the PDC schedule is incredibly relentless, and you know, more so now than maybe it was 10 years ago or so. Uh, but I noticed that, sort of looking through the records, you didn't play in all of the events. Was that because you couldn't get the the time off from work and stuff?
1: That, that was it, simply, yeah. When I got to work again, I was driving for a living, having to work Saturdays. Then I moved after two years to work in nights, and the only night I got off was Saturday nights, so it was. If I did manage to get somewhere, it was after a shift. And you're tired, you're not prepared, you've not done it, and it... Yeah, it just felt... But you try, you know, you think... You've got the game in you, so, you know, it might just come off. But you know, deep down, it isn't going to come off. You're not preparing right. But you keep battling, because it's sort of anything only thing you're any good at. So you you just pray that one day luck will turn, but... No, nah, it, it was a battle. It was a battle we work.
0: You mentioned that you started sort of your playing career on the, the BDO side of things and then walked away because the, the money wasn't so good. What was it that prompted you to start doing the WDF events again last year?
1: Well, it sort of came about by accident, to be honest. Well, uh, last summer, the challenge tour was at a PDC Challenge Tour at Milton Keynes, we were there for that. And the World Seniors Darts Tour had just been announced. And I saw that and I thought, Now this sounds good. That really appealed to me straight away. And I thought, yeah, the old guys that we used to travel around Europe with and do the circuit with, I thought that sounds really good. And I was, night before Challenge Tour, I was having a drink with Darren Johnston. I said, have you looked into the seniors? Are you gonna give it a go? And he went, why would I? I said, well, have a look at it. I think it's all right. And he had a look. He went, all right, are you gonna do it? I said, I've signed up, Darren, I'm in. I fancy it. Took me about an hour per and he looked and he went, right, I've joined. So I thought, brilliant. He says, but if we're going to do it, we need some practice. There's WDF at Celtic next month. Do you fancy going for a bit of practice for seniors? I went, yeah, why not? We might as well. So we booked up last minute and went there and first comp, English Classic. I finished having a run to quarterfinals, lost out to Brian Braman in quarters. And I thought, oh, that's gone better than I thought. Next day I had Wayne Warren second round, the world champion at the time. I beat Wayne. A little bit luckily, but I beat Wayne and finished up in last 32 there, lost to Scott Marsh. And after one weekend, we looked at each other and went, you know, so maybe we should give this a go again. It was far better run than they used to be. Everybody was friendly. It was a proper darts family again. I thought, yeah, I quite fancy having a go at this again. So that's what we did. It was the seniors that, that brought us back to the WDF.
0: Well, it was, uh, it was interesting you mentioned that game with Wayne because I was actually staying with Wayne for the England Open weekend last year. All right. And I actually ended up um, sort of like scoring your game with him as it went along. And uh, I remember watching it going, "Yeah, this Martin Turner, geezer, he's really, really good. And I knew the name rang a bell. And then I sort of had a look and was like, ah, that's where I remember the name from. But yeah, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed watching that game with you and Wayne.
1: Obviously, draw comes out a few days before you play, don't they? So I saw a draw and I thought, Saturday, if you're going to make an impression, I love to the draw with Wayne Warren, and I just thought, right, if you want to make an impression in this and get people noticing you, then you've got to beat Wayne in that. And then it'll let people know, wow, hang on, he's back again. And I think I tried a little bit too hard against Wayne. I was a little bit too nervous trying too hard instead of just throwing. But I got away with it. I'm not going to lie. I got away with it, a lucky win, but it's still a win over a world champion. And it made me think then, you know, there's you know, there's still something to earn for you, you've still got half a chance of doing something. Uh, but yeah, I was awfully nervous playing in, I must
0: admit. <laughs> oh, you didn't look it, so I suppose that's a, a win, good a thing. A win's a win. <laughs> exactly. Now, in December, you played at the World Championship Qualifier at Lakeside, which as far as I know, was the first time you'd ever played at at Lakeside. What did you make of that experience?
1: Oh, it was, it was unreal. Absolutely unreal. It's when you walk. I know it's different when you're playing as dartboards boards in there instead of seats and everything. But you just sense an atmosphere when you walk when you walk up to the place, and when you see that wall of honour and everything, it's goosebumps. There. It's just brilliant. I thought, yeah, that's what me and Darren said there and then. So right next year we're doing circuit properly, and we're coming back here next year and we're going to play in it. That was it. That was all we said was we're going to give it a proper go in 2022 and we're coming back next year and we're going to play in the world's here and that was it, it was just unbelievable it really was something special
0: that tour you and darren traveling around together why is it called the last of the summer wine tour
1: <laughs> oh, that was me that was me i came up with that one but it's this the over 50s in it so you know it's a bit like being yorkshireman what's yorkshire known for one of them's Last of the Summer Wine, and that's I just says, well, it's just the Last of the Summer Wine tour, isn't it? And Darren went, no, no, it isn't. I says, yeah, we're having it, we're having it, so that'll do for me. And everybody comes up to you now laughing and says, oh, we saw that, that's brilliant, I love that. It's just a bit of fun, is it? It's just trying to put a bit of fun into the game. It's. I've really enjoyed being back and playing well, and it's just nice to have a bit of a laugh with it all.
0: Absolutely. You,
1: never know, one day we might get some T-shirts made up, but i can't convince Tara that one yet, but I'm working on it. Uh,
0: I wondered if either of you had considered coming on to the theme tune if you do qualify for the world.
1: <laughs> I did, yeah, but it's not really fast paced, does it? It's not really get you going.
0: Uh, well, I'd appreciate it anyway, even if no one else did.
1: I might, yeah. I might have see if we can get it done for just for a start at walk and then go into something proper, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely there. I've thought about it, yeah, definitely. It's just the Wellington boats and the. Funny, I'm not happy about wearing, but you know, i might not
0: that yet. <laughs> and in terms of your, your results on the, the WDF Tour this year, you've progressively, as the months have gone on, they've been getting one round further on. So it was the quarterfinals at the Isle of Man Open, semi finals in Denmark and Wales, and then a final at Switzerland. When's the first title going to come along?
1: I'm not putting any pressure on that, to be honest. All I said when I started playing again, because obviously being out of proper darts for a lot of years like I've been, all I said was I want to keep improving, gradual improvement, steady progression, nothing major straight away, because if you race to the top straight away, you're only one way down. I just want to progress gradually, and as long as I find some consistency, that's the only thing that's ever stopped me before, was being consistent. I could produce brilliant days, but then I'd have weeks of rubbish. So I just wanted some consistency and yeah I was obviously disappointed to lose in Switzerland but as you say it was a step further from the last one it was a semis to a final so I thought yeah brilliant I was more disappointed with the seniors last week for losing to Paul because that was a qualifier for a TV hmm. that would have meant something but again over the weekend I had a, a semi-final, quarter-final and a final I thought yeah it's still progression mind. that's all you wanted so if, if I have to wait till the World Championships itself to lift my first title, then yeah, I can live with that.
0: And is that why, when you got to the semis of the, the Denmark Masters last month, is that why that you tweeted that the trophy meant a lot to you?
1: Oh, yeah, big style. I mean, Darren's won a fair bit in his time. He's done all this and it's, it's not new to him. But to me, the biggest thing was how man, when me and Darren won the pairs, that was a big turning point for me, was to be called a champion. Yeah. And I know it's not a singles title and it's not quite the same, but to be crowned a champion of anything, you just, I was so emotional and obviously with anxiety and stuff, I'd stayed away from social media for years and didn't want to know. And Darren sort of said to me, you've got to read Facebook, most it's gone ballistic this afternoon. And I didn't like doing Facebook, but I went on and there's messages from people you haven't seen for 10, 15 years and all that. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. I thought, I says, Well, I better come up with hibernation then son, I better make me send on again. So I went back on there and chatted to a few people and had a great time and then Darren says, You didn't realize we've got a trophy to collect. <laughs> and says, oh, it's there. I said, is there? He says, Yeah, John from English Darts just texted me there's a trophy, we didn't collect it. I says, Oh, what we're we gonna do then he says, Well he's send it finals are giving it out. I said, Where are they now we're finals? So oh, they're halfway through and went right, I got dressed again. So he came in and he was in bed, I went, I'm off this, way." you know, says, I've waited a long time for this, Darren. I am not missing out on collecting a trophy. I'm off back. And I went back to the venue for that night and collected that trophy. And it and it was the same with them, Matt. Darren says, Ah well, we haven't got room with luggage for that, so you'll have to leave it. I went, not on your nelly, my friend. Again, a singles trophy and it means a lot to me and I've worked hard for this. It's coming home with me, don't worry my friend, I'm keeping this. And it means more now, when you're older, it means a hell of a lot more. And I'm, anything I win, now I'm keeping it, making sure of that.
0: Absolutely, as the way it should be. When I was watching the, the stream of the Swiss Open final, it might have been that the way the camera was, but the darts you throw actually looked quite small, lengthways. Are, do you throw quite a small dart? Yeah,
1: for, for a man I've only got little hands. So, a big barrel is not really that much else. I mean, when I was younger and I had more subtle fingers, I actually used to hold the shaft more than the dart. Now I'm getting older, the fingers don't bend. I'm actually holding the dart. But, yeah, big darts are no good in my little hands, (laughs) unfortunately. But the the darts, I mean, they weren't quite out. I've spent a lot of time with a little file just trying to get them right for the grips. I'm a rear-end grip thrower. And to buy darts with a real good rear end grip is hard because obviously it's where the shafts grow in so it's a weak point so they can't do that much with them. And hmm. just before the semi final in Switzerland I was actually on practice board and my point fell out. So when I played the semis and final of the Swiss I was actually using two darts from one set and one from another because my point had fallen out on the other dart. And if you're watching the stream on my left leg, my trousers was also ripping as well. So I had a great big tear down one side of my trousers. So I was worried about flashing my leg off on thing. I thought, oh, this can't get any worse today, surely. <laughs> Everything's going wrong at the wrong time. A really w- weird experience. But, yeah, I've always liked smaller darts. So you say I've only got small hands, so it's, it, they're just... And plus,
0: grouping. Yeah, of course. You know, you, you, you want to try and get the best grouping you can, so...
1: I mean, I'm a bit like Peter Wright. I've always classed me it last few years as the crap Peter Wright because I've been trying all sorts, trying to find the perfect dart.
0: Hmm.
1: And I used to go to comps and have about seven, eight darts in my case and what am I going to use today sort of thing. But it's only just the last twelve months I've just settled on one set and, and that's it. And I thought, right, I played a lot of local culture Colin Osborne and obviously he's remodelled his game. And he says, whatever happens, trust the process. When something goes wrong, just trust the process. And that's all I keep hearing now is Colin saying, trust the process. So stick to them and you know they're working, so stick to them.
0: Now, the nickname, the Crap Peter Wright, I have to say is very good. Uh, (laughs) But as is the one you've actually got, uh, Mutt's Nuts, where did that come from? Yeah,
1: Uh, there's a story. Uh, it started off when I was a little little young, about five or six, and the woman next to my granny's house was German. So she used to teach me bits of German like Mutter, his mother. So I said, Well I call me mum mum, I don't call her mother, so she'll have to be mutt. And my dad just went, If you think for one second you're gonna start calling me father, you can get it. So we finished up being mutt, father mutt and junior mutt. So when I moved into Darts, I was Mutz and then became mutley. On the PDC at the time when I was playing, Lee White was also on the circuit, who was known as mutley. So I thought, eh, I can't have two Muttleys. So I just expanded it a little bit to the Mutz Nuts. So it's been a story from a six-year-old right through to where I am now. But it was just basically went to Mutz Nuts from Lee White spoiling me nickname. Bless him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I'd say I, for one, look forward to Richard Ashdown reading that out on the stage at Lakeside or the World Championship, wherever it is, next year. Well,
1: I had an issue with PDC at UK Open because they said I couldn't use it because it's offensive because it is effectively the dog's bollocks. Yeah. I, and I says, but there's a clothing range on on the website called the Mutz Nuts. So if they can allow a clothing range, why can't I have a nickname? And they will not let me wear my shirt at the UK Open because it had the Mutz Nuts on. So I had a bit of an argument with them there. Oh. Well, Charlie, was, Charlie was refereeing at Denmark when I did walk on there And they called me out as a mutt's nuts I thought, all right, it must be alright over here Then we'll stick with this Fiddling <laughs> that, I'd have to be the minister, man
0: Of course, yeah have you, uh, have you been a big York City fan all of your life?
1: Oh, God, yeah I think that's half the reason why the dance is suddenly improving you Just You At the minute, I mean, obviously <clears> Myself for <throat> the last ten years It's been total dross Pretty much similar we all City Absolute dross in the last six months, they've suddenly gone berserk, had a right run got promoted, I've suddenly started finding form on that board, and I think, wow, I don't know whether it's me inspiring Yacht City or Yacht City inspiring me, but it's working either way, so we'll go with it.
0: In terms of the schedule then for you, and I suppose by extension Darren, what are you planning to be playing in on the WDF side or whatever over the next sort of few weeks and months? Well,
1: the plan was to try and get as many points for the ranking as we could early doors, so we don't have to travel as much at the end of the year. Trouble is, Darren gets restless and he wants to travel anyway. So at the moment, a couple of weeks, we're down at Breen Sands Mm -hmm. for the England Arts weekend. We've got Antwerp booked, we've got Sweden booked, and there's two pro tour events on the World Seniors Tour as well, and the seniors qualify for the Worlds at the end of the year. British Open, obviously, towards the end of the year, so, yeah, there's, a, there's enough going on at the moment to, uh, Oh, and then at back end of the year as well, so there's a lot going on. And hopefully, fingers crossed, there might be a chance to get on the online live league as well later in the year as well, so that could be good. That would be brilliant if I could get into that.
0: You hear a lot of players saying that, you know, what a resource it is for, for match practice and stuff. Would you be in a position with, with work now that, playing that, you'd be able to take the time off to do that?
1: Yeah, well, since Covid struck two years ago, I was actually living over in Hina in Derby, with a lass over there, and a week into the first lockdown, I was essential working at the time, uh, not a week, a month. She decided to, she wanted to call it a day, so I moved back to York. I had to leave my job in lockdown and move back, move back to York, so... It was during COVID that I sat down and thought, well, where do you go from here? And I sat down and sort of thought, have you you got anything to give darts? Have you achieved what you should have done? Well, no, I've not achieved anything near like what I should have done. So I just took the decision. I had a bit of money left in Bank to not work for a while and just concentrate on darts. So that's what I'm doing at the minute is I'm not working. I'm just solely concentrating on darts.
0: Oh, nice one. In terms of the goals for you this year... I know the WDF World Championship is a, a big one, and yeah. presumably, based on what you've said about what you think of the tour and the circuit, qualifying for that World Seniors one is another big carrot out oh, there for you, as well. Absolutely,
1: yeah. I mean, it's been a disappointment for World Seniors this year, personalised, because I've not performed that well on it up to this last weekend, but now I think I'm sat fourth and ordering remote for that as well. So it puts me in a great chance to, to push on the qualifiers in November and get into that. Yeah, I'd love to play in that. It'd be amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: these guys, without these guys, we won't be playing darts. And what Jason Francis has done and Jason Tame with this world scene is I think it, it could be a massive thing. It yeah. really could be a massive thing. Yeah, I'd love to qualify for
0: that. Absolutely. And I suppose just a, a last thing from from me then. It's been fascinating to hear you talk about overcoming or at least starting to overcome the issues you've had with, you know, anxiety uh, and sort of self-doubt and a lack of self-belief. If there are people listening who feel in a similar way but have never sort of spoken about it or anything like that before, what advice would you give to them?
1: Just just talk to somebody. And I know. It's easy to say, just talk to somebody. And I've felt like it for years and years. And so I've spent a lot of time with Dave Gladly since he was a kid, bless him. And until you see them speak up and see what he said, and you, you think, wow, that is amazing. And the best thing I ever did was sit down with Dave and talk to Dave, and he's been fantastic. Just anybody that you can honestly say is a good friend or family member who you trust implicitly, talk to them. Honestly, it's made me feel 100% better and say, results are showing at the minute. I'm in a much happier place than I've ever been. And it's such a weight off your shoulders. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about, which you think at the time it is. It's nothing to be embarrassed about at all. Talk to somebody, you will feel 100% better.
0: A lovely note to end on as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Martin. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And I wish you all the best for the rest of the year. Because if you keep playing the way you are... We're going to be seeing your name an awful lot more before the end of the year.
1: Hopefully so, Andrew. That's the plan, my friend. <laughs> it's been a wonderful start to to here. First one of these I've ever done and it's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: It was great speaking to Martin. I mentioned it in the interview, but I really was very impressed with the way that he played against Wayne Warren at the England Open last year. And since that point, he's continued to steadily improve. And that first title doesn't feel far away. And there's very good chance that we're seeing him play at the WDF World Championships next year, as well as the World Seniors Championships, where, you know, the way he's playing, he'd certainly be very competitive in both. I also thought it was great to hear someone speak so openly about mental health difficulties and the impact that actually just speaking to someone about those problems has had on him being able to overcome them. Long may that culture of openness and Martin feeling a lot more relaxed. Long may that continue as well as long may the last of the summer wine tour continue as well because him and Darren have been a great addition end of last year and beginning of this year and they're both playing really really well which is lovely to see. As we discussed in the interview Martin came close to a maiden WDF title at the Swiss Open in June which was eventually won by Hungary's Gabor Takac it was the second title of the year for Gabor, uh, who this week, just gone, was playing in the Ball Shooter Soft Tip competition in Europe. Uh, the second Swiss event, the Helvetia Open, that was won by Alexander Merckx, who picked up his second career title in the space of a fortnight. While the women's titles in Switzerland were split between Anka Zilstra and Suzanne Smith. The biggest event of the last few weeks was the following week, and that was the platinum-graded Dutch Open been more than two years since the world's biggest darts open was played and even though it was four months later than planned and, and entries were lower than in the past it was still the biggest event of the year and the biggest open event anywhere in the world you'll hear later in the show Lorraine Hyde says this I've, I've seen it from a few other people as well that perhaps it didn't quite have the feel that it used to it didn't feel quite as special as it used to um Obviously, I haven't been before and I wasn't there this year, so it's hard for me to comment. But I think my assessment at this stage would be I think a lot of events are still in recovery in this sort of post-COVID landscape we find ourselves in. And that means that events are lower across the board. Um, You know, the England Open next month, there's only about 100 people at the moment entered for the men's, which is a lot lower than there would have been in the past. And I also think with the Dutch Open, it being at a different time to normal will have had an impact on entries as well. I think the better indicator of where the event is at and where the tour is at will be that Dutch Open next year, which hopefully will be back in its traditional February slot. In terms of the Dutch Open action itself, the standard was really good. And it was great to see Jelle Clarsen come through and book a first World Championship appearance outside the PDC in 16 years. Yellow semi-final with Thibaut Tricot was a really, really good game to watch. I thought Tebow was going to walk away with it, to be honest. He won the first set 3-0 with three tonne-plus finishes. And I thought, well, he's so dialled in here. Averaging a tonne, he looks brilliant. And he did miss match darts in the second set, but his standard dipped a little bit, and Yellow was clinical in that final set when he had opportunities. The other... Finalist was Mark Barilli, who'd come through a, a competitive semi-final with Ivo Leixmer. Uh, but Mark seemed to run out of steam in the final after a long weekend. Uh, but it was still a very good run from him and their valuable points, which should mean that he's almost certainly going to be back at the World Championship next year as he continues to look for that elusive first ever win in the World Championships in the Women's Dutch Open, Beau Greaves continued to just absolutely dominate the competition. Her run through that tournament actually started to look a little bit like her Lakeside run as she beat Lorraine Stanley and Kirsty Hutchinson in successive games uh, to reach the final where she took on Rhianne O'Sullivan. Uh, Bo won that one 5-1. One, and then the pair met again this weekend in the finals of the Six Nations charity Singles where Bo again was victorious, averaging 89.5 in a 5-2 win. To, to touch on the Six Nations, I'll talk about the results and who, who was impressive and so on, but there are two big issues that I've got to address first, or at least I want to address first. The first one is streaming, because after the British Internationals last month, I went on a big rant about the lack of streaming and how Poor form it was for there to be no streaming. So, the fact there was streaming of all three days this time and a good quality stream all the way through with good viewership, you have to give credit where it's due. So, well done to the Tri Nations, uh, they did a good job, and hopefully, that's the norm moving forward. The other thing I wanted to talk about, the sort of notable incident from the weekend, came on Friday in the women's game between. England and the Republic of Ireland when Dieter Hedman was given the phantom leg of the, the double nine that didn't actually go in but was called Game Shot. Uh, that seemed like a genuine mistake from the caller uh, and obviously only Dieter on that stage knew what she was thinking and what was you know, in her head at that point in time. But the accusations of cheating were there and there were an awful lot of them online which was disappointing to see because knowing Dieter as I do That's certainly not in her character at all. And I thought that the way the situation was dealt with the following day, with Dieter asking that that point be given to the Irish team so that they lost 5-4 rather than 6-3, and writing a letter of apology to Caroline Breen, her opponent in that leg, I thought that was the absolutely best way to deal with it and uh, sort of summed up the, the integrity that I know Dieter for as a person. Touched on Bo winning the, the charity singles, she threw a 10 data in one of her games and that generally looked absolutely brilliant. The men's singles was won by Wesley Plazier from the Netherlands. He, he posted tonne-plus averages in two of his games before the final where he beat Scott Taylor 5-4 in a really good back-and-forth game. In terms of the Six Nations tournament proper, uh, in the men's group stage, England beat Scotland and Northern Ireland to top their group. With Northern Ireland beating Scotland 13 7 in the other game to advance to the semi finals. Meanwhile, in the other group, the Netherlands beat the Republic of Ireland and Wales to win their group, with Wales coming second after beating the Republic of Ireland. The fifth sixth playoff in the men's, therefore, was between Scotland and the Republic of Ireland, with Ireland winning 13 7. The star of their performance was David Concannon, he won all four of his legs in that game with Martin Heenahan and Kieran Tihan also picking up three legs each. Uh, the star for Scotland was undoubtedly Jamie Bain. He won three of his four legs in that playoff, and the legs he won came in 15, 14 and 14 up. In the semi-finals, Northern Ireland played the Netherlands. They were 3-0 and 6-4 up, uh, Northern Ireland were, but then the Dutch won nine of the next ten legs including a, a leg that saw Wesley Plazier take out a one seventy finish. The second of the weekend, uh, Scott Williams did the other one the day before. Uh, that meant that the Netherlands won 13-7. And it was a similar story in the other semi-final when England played Wales. England were 5-4 down in that semi-final, before then winning nine of the next ten legs to win 13-6. Star performer for England in that game was Luke Littler, who won all four of his legs. That brought us to an England-Netherlands final and it was the Netherlands who won 13-11 to win the Six Nations men's team event for the third time in a row. Uh, They sealed victory with a 12 data from Owen Roloffs. but to be fair, it was a a close game all the way through between uh, the Dutch team and the English team but as we got into the second half of the game the Dutch always seemed that fraction ahead and I think statistically for them to have finished with an 87 average as a team over the course of 25 legs in that on-off format is actually incredibly impressive. Roloffs who hit the, the winning leg for Owen Roloffs who who hit that winning leg in the final for the Netherlands he hit a tournament high in 9180s, a mark that he shared with Scott Williams, who of course won on the Pro Tour recently, while the highest overall average for the men was recorded by Ireland's David Kincannon, and he was awarded player of the tournament accordingly. Moving over to the women's tournament. Uh, England, in their group, beat Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, with the Republic of Ireland coming second. Of course, touched on that, that incident uh, between Dieter and Caroline Breen. The other group, meanwhile, was very close with all five... The other group, meanwhile, was very close with all three games ending 5-4. Wales won both of theirs 5-4. So they topped the group uh, with the Netherlands beating Scotland in the other one to come second. So that meant that in the semis you had Wales against Ireland and England against the Netherlands. England beat the Netherlands 5-0. Bo started that match off with a 15-data and it was sort of more of the same for England from there. Wales, meanwhile lost 5-4 to Ireland. Katie Sheldon won the last leg there. Uh, Rhianna O'Sullivan for Wales, she won all nine legs she played during the weekend, uh, but it wasn't enough in that semi-final as Ireland won. And uh, Katie Sheldon was the, the woman of the hour in the final as well because she hit the winning double in that last leg for Ireland to beat England 5-4 and win the Six Nations for the first time in their history. Uh, the final between England and Ireland, there was never more than a leg in it. But I think for me, the decisive moment was the seventh leg when Robin Byrne beat Bo Greaves. Bo hadn't dropped a leg in the team event up until that point. Her and Rhiann were the only players on 100%. But she dropped that, which put Ireland 4-3 up, which meant that England would have to win the last two legs ..to win the title, so there's a bit of scoreboard pressure there. And in that deciding leg between Katie and Lorraine Stanley, both players missed match starts before Katie managed to, to take it out. An emotional moment for the Irish team, but a special moment as well. Fifth place in the women's team event went to Scotland, who beat Northern Ireland 5-1 in their game. Uh, I mentioned Jamie Bain earlier, he played really well for Scotland. But in the women, I thought Lorraine Hyde and Emily Davidson both played really well. Lorraine won six of the eight legs she played, and Lorraine and I caught up just before the tournament to discuss her Lakeside debut earlier this year, her form in the WDF competition since March, wanting to be a seed when she next plays at the World Championship, and what it meant for her daughter to see her mum playing on television. I'm now delighted to be joined by Scotland international Lorraine Hyde. Lorraine, how are you? Yeah,
2: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me again. (laughs)
0: It's nice to have you back on the show. The last time we spoke, you just won your first WDF title, the British Classic, and you were eyeing up, sealing your place at Lakeside. You managed to do that in the, the couple of weeks after we spoke, and then the, the tournament got postponed. How did you react to the news that it had been moved from January to April?
2: Well, it was probably the right decision, but uh, for me, I was a bit gutted because at that time, I was playing... Uh, a bit better and I knew Tory hadn't been playing much darts in Australia because they were still in lockdown for the majority of last year so I thought I maybe had a bit of an advantage and then obviously got moved and I never threw a dart for about three months because there was no tournaments until March so yeah it wasn't really a, a good thing for me but yeah it is what it is. <laughs>
0: Yeah I was i was going to say because I know some people sort of they wanted to carry on practicing but then I know when I spoke to Mark Graham he said I just shoved the darts in the cupboard and then took them out again two months later. So was that the same for you? You just thought look if I'm not playing I'll just focus on family and working and stuff and then when the time comes I'll pick up again then?
2: Yeah well kind of. I did like a couple of local things over that time whenever there was something on but other than that yeah they just got put away yeah. Didn't really look at them. Um, I, I kind of was a bit disappointed, so I wasn't really in the mood. Um, <laughs> but then, obviously, when the Ileman was the first tournament that was coming up, so started throwing like a few weeks before then, just the odd throw here and there. Um, but yeah, not much.
0: And now that that draw with Tori Kewish. Now I know you two are very close. Was that the worst possible draw you could have got in the first round? <laughs>
2: I would have, I, I would have preferred playing anyone else to be honest uh, but at the same time it was nice to share that first first time with uh, one of my close friends so there's pros and cons I suppose <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> And did you two actually kind of speak about the draw in advance and the fact that obviously you know you in a way didn't want to play each other because obviously you are good friends and that meant one of you was going out.
2: We both said that we were, without a doubt, going to get each other first round. <laughs> <laughs> so we weren't expecting it. Um, but yeah, and we, we didn't want to play each other because obviously we were there. Um, we hadn't seen each other in like two years and we wanted to enjoy the week and support each other. But obviously we were playing each other in the first round that never happened. But I stayed there and watched Tori for the rest of the tournament. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not much you can do about that.
0: Oh, of course, now I know I, I saw you tweeted in advance of the tournament that you know the nerves were kicking in before playing when you actually got up there you actually looked quite emotional how were the nerves up on that stage?
2: Do you know I actually didn't have any nerves <laughs> at all on the day it was just the build up, I think it was just the anxiety going uh, just worrying about how I was going to play up there um, but on the actual day I actually felt okay yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I obviously didn't look okay, but uh, yeah, um, I just felt fine. Um, I maybe would have played slightly better if I was nervous. So I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, and I suppose ended with the, the two nil defeat to Tory. But what did you feel you took from the whole experience of playing on TV and the stage and? Even a small thing Like playing a set And then going off for a break And then coming back on again
2: Yeah well it's definitely A learning curve Um, I think the Break especially Didn't do any Favours for me Um, Because I thought I played okay The first set It was just The odd uh, Like double here and there That lost me That first set And then I came back on And I just couldn't find Range So It's I'll, I'll know what to expect if i get there the next time put it that way <laughs> um but yeah it's i've been there before obviously just as a spectator so yeah it was different being a player mm. it's kind of it's weird to explain
0: <laughs> when we spoke last time you said how much of a, a source of motivation your daughter is what, what did she make of seeing her mum on the tv
2: she was sitting watching me, and uh, obviously I've got my song. That's Have You Ever Seen Lorraine? But she's she uh, my sister was looking after her, and she sent me a video of her um, singing my song. But she was saying Mummy instead of Lorraine. Uh, yeah, yeah, she loves it. But obviously her dad plays as well, so she got to see us both playing. Um, she loves it. Um, she's actually got Laura Turner. Actually, gave her a set of darts, and she's been throwing. So, <laughs> got another dart in the making.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. And I noticed that after the tournament, you signed with their management company, GM Dart. How did that come about, and what difference have they made to your your playing so far?
2: Uh, it was actually. Uh... Well I don't know if I'm allowed to say it or not but (laughs) Um, it was actually Jim McEwen's wife obviously we're all friends Um, she put in a good word for me because that's Jim's management as well Um, and uh, well I actually spoke to Greg through the week when he was there um, watching Jim and yeah he just offered to do it and I said yeah and it's a massive help so obviously I'm a single parent I don't really have much spare Dosh <laughs> lying around so it definitely helps me um, I wouldn't be able to go to most things without that
0: and in terms of the, the WDF events this year I know you went to the Isle of Man in March which clashed with the the first women's series block was the decision to go to the Isle of Man a, a tactical one or, or had you already planned to go there before the, the date clash was announced uh, well
2: I was already going but um, I, well, I had points to defend from Isle of Man so like, the right choice for me was to go there Yeah, I kind of just used the PDC one as match practice and if it goes it goes if it doesn't it doesn't the, it's the WDF that means more to me right now so yeah <laughs> I was always going to go to Isle of Man
0: hmm. Yeah and You've played well, looking at the results, you've played well this year, and I think the thing you notice when looking at the results is that when you've gone out of a tournament, it's always been in a close game. In Scotland, you lost 4-3 to Kirsty Hutchinson, 4-3 to Lisa Ashton in Wales, and then this weekend, just gone, the Dutch Open, lost yeah. 4-3 to Lorraine Stanley. So, how do you feel in your game at the moment?
2: Yeah, I'm quite happy. It's just when it's getting to the like maybe the winning leg, I just can't seem to take it out um, and I miss those crucial doubles or like big numbers and stuff uh, I don't know if it's just the nerves that kick in or I, I don't know but hopefully that will start coming together but yeah like as you say I'm going out to like decent players so <laughs> I can't really be that disappointed in that sense yeah. um, but I know like in each of each one of those competitions I could have gone further if I
0: just put those doubles, and I, th- I think I read on Facebook earlier that your appearance at the Dutch Open this year was the first time you'd been in. I think it was fourteen years. How did yeah. it compare to to when you went then? Because you must have been fairly young when you went last time. Uh,
2: yeah, the last time I went was in two thousand eight. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a bit different. I think I was uh, well. How long is that for? Yeah, I would have been eighteen. So, um, yeah, it was different. Um, actually, the last time I went to the Dutch Open, I played Francis Honsler when she was world champion first game, so, <laughs> um, and I actually won won that game and then lost second round. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: so, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was good. It was obviously a different venue. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely doesn't seem as big as what it used to be, but obviously it's like COVID will have a lot to do with that. Um but yeah it was still good. Really enjoyed it. Very warm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's normally in the traditional February slot. This year they moved yeah. it to the June. Do you as a player, do you have a preference moving forward or does it not bother you too much when it is?
2: Um no, it doesn't really bother me. Um either or um although this month's very busy so it would have been Nice if it was a different month, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really bother me when it was. Mm-hmm. But the, the in February, I would imagine it wouldn't be so hot in the venue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: You'd certainly um, hope so.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult playing when you're uh, really warm.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, yes. This coming weekend, as you mentioned, it's a busy month. You're back on Scotland duty. Thankfully, you haven't got to go flying off again. You are at home for the the Six Nations this time. We'll touch on that in a minute. But I know the Scotland team now is picked slightly different to the way it used to because of the changes to the county system. Is that right?
2: Uh, well, yeah. Um, it's not really been picked different this year, but next year it will be. I don't really know what the criteria is, to be honest. I think it's going to be picked over a few different things but I'm not quite sure what <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I seem to think this year it was based solely on the, the county performances which is why someone like Jim McEwen missed out because he's yeah. not playing county at the moment
2: Yeah, I think he never got selected just because um, he'd only played one game I think if he maybe even played two games he might have been considered but there was a couple other players in the same boat as him well, it is a shame that he's not in the team, because obviously he would rather someone like Jim in your team, but they were just picking it solely on the counties, so it was the fairest way, I suppose.
0: Now last month, uh, you had the British internationals, and we were going to have a chat then, but I know you'd lost your voice going into that, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. that tournament. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I seem to lose my voice quite a lot when I come home from darks weekends.
0: <laughs> Is that too much time doing karaoke or oh,
2: no, no no definitely not <laughs> <laughs> Probably too much talking
0: <laughs> uh, Now the British Internationals were I think probably fair to say quite challenging for the Scotland team in the end but I mean you personally although you lost your games you played really well were you happy with your performances
2: yeah, I thought I played well. It, I was just the the usual for me. I always get the, the best players in the, the other teams, unfortunately. Uh, I, I think I've played Ryan several times at the internationals. And then Lorraine happened to be on top form that weekend. So I can't really be... uh, I've probably played better at the internationals than I have done for like quite a few years. So... There's a uh, positives to take from that, even though I lost. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. I'm used to I'm used to getting the the tough games. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh. Now the Six Nations is obviously a bit different because the team event it's just one leg on, one leg off. Now when I have spoken to Alan Suter about this in the past, he's always said that he loved the Six Nations probably more than any of the other international events because. It was like the old competitions you'd play down the pub where it was like winner stays on after a leg. Mm. Is the Six Nations something you, you've played in before? And if so, is it one that you've particularly enjoyed? <clears throat>
2: yeah, I've played in it before. It's very hard. <laughs> um, it's it, like I, My first two years, I never won a leg because um, like, you're going up playing people that are starting off 140-140 and that's you struggling straight away. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do enjoy it. I wouldn't say it was my favourite. I probably prefer the internationals or the Europe Cups because you're getting a proper game out of it when you're going up and playing the likes of the Bro- Bo Greaves and the Dieta Headmonds and that is very ch- challenging to get, um, to get that leg. Um, but yeah, they're in the same boat. If you start off well, they're starting to worry about it. So yeah, you never know.
0: Mm. And uh, how do you think the Scotland team are going to get on this weekend?
2: Um, I, I, oh, it's a hard one because we've got a very tough group, so it just really depends um, how everyone's feeling, I suppose. But the last time it was me, Emily, and Susanna that played, we did quite well. I think that was when it was in Chelsea. Um, we did all right. I think we got through the the group stages. Um, I think it, I'm sure it was England that ended up beating us. Um, but yeah, we we normally play quite well together as a team, so hopefully. And the men, they've got a good team, so fingers crossed.
0: And obviously, it'll be nice playing on on home soil as well. So hopefully, you'll have a, a loud crowd behind you as well.
2: Yeah, well, I think it'll be quite busy, but um, I'm not sure the Normandy's quite a big big venue. I don't think it's been played there for. I think the last time I was in there for any international duty was. I was just watching, actually, and it would have been years and years ago when Gary Anderson still played, so um, it's been a while since it's been there, um, but it'll be good.
0: Definitely. And you've touched on it already, is the Europe Cup something you're aiming to be a part of later this year?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think I've, I'm not sure how the like, usually the people that are in the Six Nations squad are automatically in the Europe Cup, so I should be in it, but I don't know. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, unless I have a terrible weekend this weekend, but hopefully not. Um, but yeah, I would love to go there. Um, and it's in, I think it's in Valencia or something, mm-hmm. possibly. so it'd be nice to get some sun in at the same time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah for sure and in terms of the, the WDF events sort of beyond the, the Six Nations what have you currently got booked up or are you looking to attend in the next couple of months
2: uh, WDF I've just got uh, the England Open next month and then I've got a little bit of a break I don't go to anything until the German Open in September and then the British Open in, I think it's English Classic I'm not currently booked to go to Northern Ireland but I will go if I need to go. What else have I got? I'm trying to think. Um, I think after that's Killarney and the World Masters, I think that's it. Oh. Um, But it's something I might add to it if I need to.
0: Mm. And is the main goal for you this year to, to qualify for the World Championship?
2: Yes, I'm trying to get back but I'm also aiming to try be a seed but at the minute, it's not going well, so <laughs> um, I'll need to do a bit better in a few comps for that to happen.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, at the moment, Bo seems to be blowing everybody away, but, you know, you yeah. never know.
2: Well, she, she's had a couple of close calls in the last few comps. I've watched her, and people just can't seem, a bit like myself, can't seem to get over that winning double. But yeah, um, she's obviously really confident at the minute so it's just hard to play against Um,
0: we'll see how it goes Awesome, well thank you so much for your time tonight Lorraine, I'm glad you've got your voice back and the best of luck to Scotland this weekend Yeah, Thank you
2: very much
0: (laughs) It was really good to catch up with Lorraine and as I mentioned in the interview when she has lost in competitions this year, it has been in close games and it has been to good players and hopefully when she does get over line in one of those games, it leads to a really deep run for her, which will mean that she gets towards that goal of being a seed for the World Championships in 2023. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, moving on, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there have been a number of events since the last episode. Uh, so I'll briefly run through all of those. Now, at the end of May, there was the, the Nordic Cup in Sweden, the Nordic Cup is essentially, as uh, Hallie Egelson said on the last show, it's sort of like the Europe Cup or the World Cup, but just for the Nordic region. Uh, the singles titles within the Nordic Cup itself were won by Vicky Praum and Ricky Naumann for, for Sweden. While the Nordic Cup Open, a bronze-graded event attached to the weekend, the titles there were won by Veronica Simonsen from Norway. She denied Anna Forsmark her fourth title of the year in the women's event. Well, Andreas Harrison beat Ricky Nauman in the men's final after surviving match darts. There have been two events in the USA, the Oregon Open and the Cherry Bomb International, with both of the men's events being won by Danny Lauby. In the Oregon Open final, Danny beat Rory Hansen, friend of the show, who was making his first trip to the US for a darts competition, while at Cherry Bomb, Danny beat Gary Mawson with a 96 average in the final. With Leonard Gates already having booked his place at Alexandra Palace and Danny not making the strongest start on the CDC Tour this year, there's a very good chance he could be making his WDF World Championship debut next year. And if he plays to the level he's capable of, he could be a real threat. The women's titles, meanwhile, in those American events, the first one was won by Cassie Scantlin. And then at the Cherry Bomb International, uh, Maria Carley, who's formerly known as uh, Maria Mason from Canada, She won at the Cherry Bomb and then she made it two titles in as many weeks this weekend just gone at the silver-graded Canadian Open. She beat Steph Smith in the final and after three events in Canada, she tops the regional rankings. Were she to be in that position at the end of the season, she'll book a first World Championship appearance in eight years in the process. Uh, Second in the women's regional rankings is Brenda Moreau, uh, former guest on the show, Brenda, she got to the semi-finals and those points added to her points of winning the Snowflake Open earlier in the year. They put her second. The Men's Canadian Open, meanwhile, was won by Nova Scotia's Nick Smith. Uh, the Natural has won the event before, he won it in 2018 and then he won it in 2022 with a win over Jim Long in the final. After a 10-month COVID-induced hiatus, uh, WDF Darts got back underway in New Zealand uh, earlier this month. The first competition there was the bronze-graded Canterbury Open, which saw Hopai Puhar beat Ben Robb in the men's final and Nicole Raynaud beat Wendy Harper in the women's final. And then this weekend just gone, they had the Silver New Zealand Masters in Wellington. And uh, it was a repeat final in the women's with Wendy beating Nicole this time. Uh, but in the men's, obviously Ben Robb and Warren Parry were off in Europe playing in the PDC World Cup, which opened the field up a little bit. But again, Hopai Puha came out on top. He beat Mark Cleaver 5-4 in a really close final. Adding those results to the ranking table and bearing in mind there's only one ranking event in New Zealand left before the cutoff for the Australian Open. That means that Hopai Puha and Ben Robb have qualified as the men's representatives for the Australian Open. While for the women, Wendy Harper has her place confirmed, but the second spot in the rankings is still up for grabs. Nicole Raynaud, Desi Mercer and Tina Osborne are the three most likely candidates. Desi's second at the moment, but obviously the way Nicole's playing, she would probably be favourite if she gets a good run at the South Island Masters next weekend. The other set of events that I wanted to touch on with this weekend as well was an Eastern European doubleheader in Hungary, the Balaton Classic and the Balaton Masters. In the women's events, Yitka uh, Sisarova from the Czech Republic, she did the double. She'd never won a WDF event before. And actually, when the WDF last visited Hungary back in March, she lost both finals to Anna Forsmark. This time, she got to both finals and won both of them. She won the first one 4-1 against Veronica Ihash, and then won the second one 4-0 against Adrian Vesho. Uh, so she now tops that Eastern European table by 62 points from Ehash. Uh, the men's titles, meanwhile, were split by Lajlo Kadar and Benjamin Pratnamer. Kadar won the classic final on Saturday 5-4. He came from 4-2 down against the talented teenager Andras Borbelli. While the final on Sunday was absolutely class to watch, really enjoyed it, Benjamin Pratnamer finished with a 104 average as he won that one 5-2. Uh, looking at the Eastern European rankings, there's still seven events to go, so a lot of change is possible, particularly with silver events to come in Romania and the Czech Republic and so on. Uh, but is comfortably first. Uh, Patrick Kovac is second, and then just behind Patrick is Benjamin. Hopefully, if Benjamin can play the way he did there with that 104 average, he'll certainly be picking up more points as the year progresses. Uh, I touched on it with the, the Kiwis The Australian Open is starting to to take shape now. The Dutch Open was the cut-off for the main ranking table, so we know that James Hurrell and Luke Littler will be joining Neil Duff on the men's side. And there have been some state qualifiers in Australia. They're sort of all taking place over the next few weeks. Three have already been played uh, in Queensland, Victoria and Tasmania, and the winners of those were Jamie Rundle, Brandon Weaning and Leon Towns, respectively the field will continue to shake shape after next weekend. There's the silver-graded Victorian Classic in Morwell, and that's the last Australian event before the cut-off. So the top three guys after that will all get in. And as I mentioned, the South Island Masters in New Zealand will decide who joins Wendy Harper uh, in the women's side of things. There's also this coming weekend a doubleheader in Romania, the silver-graded Romanian Open, and the bronze-graded Romanian Classic. So all in all... A very busy weekend on the WDF Tour coming up. That's all for this week, though. So thank you to Martin and Lorraine for their time. And thank you very much for listening. Your support is always greatly appreciated. I'll be back next week to wrap up the event in Romania, New Zealand and Australia. Uh, But in the meantime, please follow me on Twitter at Sinclair 97 Follow the podcast on Twitter at Inside the WDF. Like the Facebook page Inside the WDF and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you on the other side.